Good evening. I wanted to start today a, a series. I have in my website a series that it's Baruch Hashem we are doing very, very nice. It's called Pirkei Avot. Ten lectures session covering the entire Pirkei Avot from A to Z with beautiful stories and things from life. And everyone asked me why you didn't make it in English, why, 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 why? So today will be part one. Hopefully I also will be able to do it in ten uh, lectures or maybe less, we'll see. And we will do it, Bezrat Hashem. Uh, and actually I'm just coming from a seminar from Shabbaton in uh, Montreal. And uh, actually it's a no an hour note. And uh, I want to tell you, you know, I mean, it's the words of the Prophet are happening mamash exactly, that Jews are waking up in every corner of the world, everywhere you go. They're coming to, to see what religion is all about. Young guys, young girls, 80% of the people there were all in their 20s. So they all speak in French, you know, the whole week, the, for three days I only hear French. I gave my lectures in English because they also speak English in Canada. But the language in Quebec is all French. The signs are in French, no English. It's interesting. You drive there, you see all the signs in French. You don't know how to drive. If you don't have a GPS, there's no chance to get anywhere. But that's what it is. And these young guys and girls, mamash, coming, they get inspired. Bezrat Hashem, it's very nice. Jews are waking up, not only here. Ah, nine only? Nine. Ah, it's you. Ah. I wish I only had nine. <laughs> it would be an easy day. <laughs> Sometimes you get one phone call, five minutes you talk, by the time you finish you have already ten messages. Mm. We don't know where to start anymore. Anyway, so we'll start Bezrat Hashem with the Pirkei Avot. What does it mean Pirkei Avot? It's, the, it's in Hebrew, the translation of Pirkei Avot, in English, literally, will be the chapters of the fathers. It doesn't make that much sense. What does it really mean? It means that Chazal, the sages, they took all the words of wisdom from the Torah, a lot of common sense, and they combined them into one Masechet in a, in a Gemara, in a Talmud, which mainly speaking about Derech Eretz, manners, behaving, what to do, what not to do, what recommended. They also speak about, they're also speaking about different mix, they're mixing two, I mean, few different topics inside to uh, educate us in very important things like the foundation of Judaism. For instance, as we review the beginning of the Pirkei Avot, they're describing to us how everything started from Moshe Rabbeinu. How was the right order? How did it start? Many Jews today even don't know it. What does it mean? It says like this. Moshe kibel Torah misinai. Moshe received Torah misinai. Torah started in Ar Sinai. How many years ago? 3,320 years ago. About 2,400 years after the world was created, the Torah started officially in public. Doesn't mean it wasn't here before. Avraham Avinu had the Torah. Yitzchak had the Torah. Yaakov had the Torah. Yosef had the Torah. Uh, Adam has parts of the Torah already. So the Torah was given. How do we know Avraham had the Torah even though he wasn't given yet? 
because in the Torah it says that I love Abraham because he kept all my Torahs. He kept my Torah and the mitzvot. How did he keep the Torah and mitzvot? It's about 200 years before it was given. So you see that Hashem already gave him the Torah. Not the exact same Torah like we have with all the history and the story and all the description of what happened in those thousand years period. No. It was just the mitzvot. Same thing the Torah says, and if you know, the Torah says that before HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Torah to the nation of Israel, he offered it to all the Gentiles, to all the nations. How did he offer it to them? He sent them an email? How, how did Hashem come to the Goyim and say, excuse me, Ahmed, Mustafa, Fatma, Saida, Christine, Christina, you want to accept my Torah? How did he do it? What, all of a sudden the Goyim heard that Hashem is speaking to them, like he spoke to the Jews? No. We know that the only two sentences that people heard, it's the first two commandments. Nothing else. The people never heard the voice of Hashem ever again. Only the first two commandments. I'm your God that took you out of Egypt. That's it. One sentence. And the second one, you should never have any other God but me. That's all. How many words count in the Torah? Maybe 10, 15 words. That's it. That's all. You don't need more than that. Two words you hear, it's already enough. But when he came to continue the Ten Commandments, the plan was to say the entire Ten Commandments. The Jews, how do they say in English? They made in their pants. They got so afraid, so paranoid, they couldn't hear. They started to scream to Moshe, please save us from this. You know, they, they, they became very nervous. You read in the Torah. They said... You go up there, everything Hashem tells you we're going to do. So basically, after the second commandment, that's it. So Hashem never spoke to the goyim. Maybe he spoke to individuals, as we know. He spoke to Abraham, right? He spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Yaakov. So we see it. But in public, two sentences, that's it. So how did he speak to the goyim? He came to the leader of every one of the nations. Every nation had a leader, either a prophet or a king. And they say, I'm about to give my Torah to humanity. Ask your nation if they want to accept it or not. So they made a vote. Democracy. Didn't start today, democracy. The king asked the nation. God came to me either in a dream or in a vision. And he told me, I want to give you this Torah. And all the nations made a vote, one by one. And all the nations, the majority of the Goim, did not agree to accept the Torah. Why? Because they asked, what's in it? They didn't know what's in it. So the king had to say, why do you care what's in it? It's something from God. It can be wrong, it can be bad. But they said, no, no, we don't want. First we want to know what's in it, and then we want to give an answer. The only nation that say, yes, give it to us, is the Jews, and that's where the expression Naaseh and Nishma came from. We're going to do, and later we will understand. Which means, no questions asked as of yet. Right? So wait a minute. Today, when a Jew goes to make a business, usually they're very clever, no? Jewish people have great reputation about being business people. All over the world, they are the most successful people. Percentage-wise, no nation has more business people, successful, intellectual, lawyers, doctors, bankers, judges, uh, owners of big chain department stores, etc., etc., than Jews. 
Yes, uh, you have many, many uh, very wealthy Christians, but compared to how many Christians are in the world, percentage-wise, it's almost nothing. Most of them are average or poor. Same thing Arabs. You see all these Arab tycoons that own all the oil, like, uh, I don't know, a few thousands of them or tens of thousands of them. Compared to a billion and a half Arabs, it's nothing percentage-wise. Most of them are f- living in a desert. They hardly have what to eat. Like Bedouin, they live in a very primitive lifestyle. Ha- Most Arabs in the world don't know how to read and write. That's the reality. Not only Arabs, even in Russia. Russia, it's a, it's a European country. Most Russians don't look by Moskva or some fancy cities. Most of Russia, it's farmers, people in villages, they still live like 200 years ago. Some places they don't even have transportation yet. You know, Russia, Yugoslavia, Romania, all these places, it's still there's a long time until they come to the lifestyle of New York or Paris or anything else. So percentage-wise, Jews obviously are very suspicious in business. They check, they ask a lot of questions, they check very well. All of a sudden, all the Jews, yes, whatever you give us, we'll do, we commit. How did it happen? The answer is, when you come to deal with a person that you trust 100%, there is a point with your relationship, your personal relationship between you and him over the years, that it gets to a point that anything he will give you, any recommendation he's going to give you, you take it with no questions asked. Why? I know him for so many years. So many things we did together. I saw him that he's such a reliable person. He's not a liar. He's not a crook. He's honest. He's decent. He doesn't know how to lie. You know, you know him over the years. You see how he behaves to people, what kind of chesed he does. So you say, when, when tomorrow I say, listen, there's a good deal. You want to go partner with me? You, you take it just because of him, not because of the deal. Because you say, you know what? He's a businessman, and nothing can go wrong with him. He's not going to cheat me. Same thing here. After the nation of Israel saw one year of miracles in Mitzrayim, what Hashem did to the Egyptians, how he took them through the ocean, everything opened up, they went through the Egyptians, bread is falling. What, what questions do they have to ask? Hashem wants to give them Torah. Whatever you give us, we say, okay, of course. Believe it or not, later they regret. They started to have second thoughts. This is the way the Yetzirah arise. When, when someone comes and he convinces you to give tzedakah, even after he gave you a beautiful speech and you're starting to cry for his horrible situation and he has uh, kids that are suffering at home, and finally you gave him the money, as soon as he walks through the door, you begin to think, oh, maybe I gave too much. For three days he don't sleep. <laughs> Not you. You know, in general, everyone. <laughs> That's the way the Yetzirah is. By the way, the Yetzirah always makes the person regret for the mitzvot he did. You should know it. It's almost always like this. You do something and, and later you regret. You have to know that's one of his tricks to make you lose everything. In case you didn't know, if a person kept Torah and mitzvot for 100 years, from morning to night, 100% perfect. And then when he was 100 years old, he said, Ah, I wasted my life. I wish I would be secular. I would go to vacations. I eat whatever I want. I'll make scenes, I'll go here. What kind of life I had? I was all my life very, very religious. Ah, I regret it. That's all. That's all he said. How long it took him to say it? One minute. 
How many years of sweat and efforts from morning to night he killed himself? Everything was wiped out. He lost everything in one minute. And it's not a joke. And it's not an exaggeration. If a person says, I regret the mitzvot I kept, he lost all of them. Right away. Same thing if a person says, I regret all the sins that I made, and he dies, and he did not make one mitzvah in his life. A person say, he walks in the street, he's thinking, what a rasha I am, what a wicked guy I am, look at me, the way I live. And then he say, ah, I wish I wouldn't do it, I wish I can go back and correct everything. Oh, a car came and hit him and he died. Lo alenu. He didn't make any mitzvah. Nothing. He comes to his trial, everything changed. From that thought or from that saying what he says. The Gemara says if a person comes to a woman and says, I sanctify you, he wants to marry her now. So he says, With condition, subject to, that I will become a perfect tzaddik. A person, think about the scenario here now. A, a guy comes, Itzi comes, he has long ponytail, he just came from India, 15 earrings in his ear, 15 tattoos on his arms, right? He comes over, you know, with uh, earring here and earring here. You, know, you, you won't even believe he's a Jew, this guy. He comes to a girl from Beit Yaakov. Sarah, Rachel, Miriam... Her hair is picked up nicely, very nice skirt, modest all the way, the way it should be. She doesn't go and make noise to, the, to attract attention from the guys on the street. He comes to her, looks like a joke. Well, what's between her and him? And he comes to her and he says to her, I want you to be my wife, of course, with condition that first I will be a tzaddik gamur. And he left. What's the status of this Miriam? If she agreed to consider, let's see, she, if you be tzaddik, why shouldn't I marry you? Get rid of all the nonsense from your back. <laughs> you know, tattoo, you don't have to clean. You made that scene. Making tattoos is a very bad scene. And it's very, very in fashion now. Everywhere you go, the people make more and more tattoos, which is very, very stupid. I don't know why a person, a Jew or a non-Jew, forget about the scene right now. Let's say it was allowed. Let's say. What kind of fool goes and decides to make something on his body that one day he obviously will get tired of it and he will be stuck with that forever? Who? Shows that a person is not thinking. Forget about religion. On top of it, that most of those people who do it come from traditional homes. Their parents were traditional, religious, some of them. But they do it. So, so a person that makes tattoo, when is the scene? The day that he makes the tattoo. A minute after it's done, to have it on the body, it's not a scene anymore. The scene is not to do it. That's why there's no obligation to erase it. So why the people who become religious, they do everything they can to erase their tattoos? Because when they go to the mikveh, they take away their clothes, everybody looks at them, all the frum, the religious, the kids. A guy came to the mikveh. They can't imagine the kids that this is a Jew. No kids can imagine such a thing. In some mikvehs, they have signs. No tattoos are allowed in. Not that they are prejudiced against Baalei Tshuva, against 
people who became religious. God forbid. No, that's not the intention. They're just tired of answering questions to these little innocent children. Because remember, one thing leads to another. A little kid, six years old, five years old, he never saw secular Jew most likely in his life because they live in very close societies and they only see religious people all the time. They go up in a school, they go from school to home. They're not, you know, they're not uh, going to places that they're not supposed to be. And all of a sudden you see a guy comes, yamaka, tzitzit, everything, but all his back is tattoos. What can he do? You know? So that's why they started to see that one question leads to another. They saw that it makes them problems in the community, so they put a big sign. The other mikvehs go to a quiet one. You don't have to come to the most commercial one with hundreds of people. So there's no obligation to erase it, but they're dying out of the embarrassment, especially one day they will have their own kids. And, you know, your kid can come and he sees that you're changing your shirt and he sees that, what are you going to say? So in general, it's very foolish to do it. Those who did it, did it. That's it. To have it, it's not a sin anymore. The sin was the day that you made it. So this guy comes to her, to this righteous Miriam, and he left. Now, she wants one day to get married. She cannot get married. She's stuck for life. Never. Why? Because maybe a second after he told her that, he made such a tshuva in his heart. For about five seconds, he was a perfect tzaddik. This is the power of tshuva. Even before you made one mitzvah, you are so embarrassed from your sins that if you could, you would fall into the fire not to express that embarrassment from Hashem. At such a high level of tshuva, temporarily, if you continue, obviously, that's the beginning. Later on, he goes back to his nonsense. But if he would continue that momentum, then she's, she's his wife. She says yes. She couldn't imagine that in five minutes it can be a tzaddik gamur, a perfect tzaddik. So this is the power of tshuva of a person. Look at this, look at this gift that Hashem gave us. That we can be the most filthy people on earth. And in one minute of tshuva, we can right away change our status. You may say, okay, there's, you know, it's, it's very hard to understand. I want you to understand exactly how it works. Yes, you are able to make yourself not wicked anymore. But you don't have any schut, any merit you don't have. If you die, what mitzvot you have? Let's say Hashem wants to give you heaven to send you to good. There's no mitzvot. He's willing to negotiate with you now to resend you on a new body to correct all the sins you made. Just because of that thought or just because you say, I regret what I did, all the sins that I did. But remember, it's the same thing. If a person said in the end of his life, I regret the mitzvot that I made, he lost all of them. All of them he lost. Same thing also in tzedakah. If he gave to a kosher yeshiva money and then they didn't give him enough respect, which happens a lot, you know, maybe he's right, maybe he's not right, that's not the point right now. But he goes and says to his wife, I wish I wouldn't give it to them. Why did, why did it bring me that I gave them the money to this yeshiva? Whatever he gave, he gave, he lost the schut. Why? By saying that, he just showed that he regrets that he gave it. So if it was up to him, if he can go back a month in time, he would, he would cancel the check right now. He, he cannot do it anymore. 
But that goes a lot based on the kavana of a person. So, we're going back to what I started. So, it starts like this. Moshe kibel Torah misinai. It starts with Moshe Rabbeinu. Umesara le Yehoshua. Yehoshua received it from him. He was his assistant. Yehoshua wasn't the, the smartest person in the whole nation. Yehoshua inherited the, the job of Moshe Rabbeinu. He became the leader after him. Chazal teaching us that there were plenty of Chachamim. There were many good rabbis at that time that actually in their level were even higher than him. So why Hashem told him, not your children are going to inherit your place. No, not your children. And not all these great big shots, names, tzaddikim that are in the generation. Yehoshua Benun is going to take your place. Why? You're not going to believe why. Because when everyone came to pray, they came to pray, they finished to pray, they went home. Somebody was staying to clean the shul, to fix the chairs, to put them back, to sweep, to clean the place, to take the garbage bag out, whatever it was. Who was it? Yoshua ben Nun. So Hashem says someone who cleans the garbage and sweep the floor and set up the shul for people to pray and then cleans when they leave, he deserves to be the king of the most important nation in history. So what do you see here? Korach, for instance, Korach was a very, very big genius from a very, very good family. Korach, from the best family. And the rich, one of the richest guys. Until today, you say in Hebrew, Ashir Kakorach. Ashir means wealthy. Kakorach, like Korach. Was such, a, such a rich guy. So he has all the skills. Very knowledgeable. At up to a certain point, until he came and rebelled against Moshe, he was a big tzaddik from a very important family, very, very wealthy. So he should have got a job. That was his claim, by the way. And he didn't get and Yoshua Benun got it. We learned a few interesting things from Yoshua Benun. I have a friend that is in Yerushalayim. Today is about 45, 46 maybe. What does he do? He runs around the world most of the, of the months of the year and collects money from rich people. And then when he has X amount of money, he goes back to Israel and he makes boxes of food, eggs, meat, vegetables, potatoes, rice, oil, whatever family needs to survive. And he gives it every Shabbat to the people who learn in yeshiva in the poor. They cannot buy a lot of food, they have a lot of kids, they live in a tiny apartment. So he helps them with food. So he has a place, he has volunteers, of course. The, the, the single guys from the yeshiva that are not married, they come to help him. Thursday evening, they put everything in the boxes. He brings a big truck from the market. They put in every box, and they have, everyone has his own line. They take it, they have a car, they go from one house to the other, and they put the boxes. Like Tom Cheshab is here in America, the same concept. So... You know, he is not married, this guy. Why is not married? Not that he's ugly, not that he's sick, not that he's not normal. He has no, no problem about him. He could have gotten married a long, long time ago, especially in the religious world. Why he doesn't want to get married? Because he doesn't want any woman that was ever with another man. He wants a virgin woman that no man ever touched her, and he wants to marry her. So one time he told me, 
that he went to Rav Yehuda Tzadka, Zecher Tzadik Livracha. He was Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef. The most important Sephardi Yeshiva in the world was always, and probably will always be, is Yeshivat Porat Yosef. Today they have two branches, one in the old city and one in Geula Street. In Yerushalayim, you can see a big building. All the Chachamim of this generation, all the Sephardic chief rabbis in all over the world came from that yeshiva. Yeshiva with blessing. So he went to him. He was the chief of the yeshiva. I don't know. You're talking about perhaps 15, 20 years ago. And he told him uh, that he has this, that he doesn't want to marry any woman other than a, a woman that, you know, is clean 100%. So he says, well, in that case, you have to give me a very, very special bracha. <laughs> so, and this guy is a very, very funny guy. He likes to make jokes and <laughs> he dances. He, he's a funny guy. So he said, Rabbi, you, I came here to get an advice from you and now you're making fun at me. <laughs> so the rabbi told him, Chas Shalom, I don't make fun at you. I'm 100% serious. So I say, you want a bracha for me? An ignorant like me, you the, the biggest chacham in the world, you want a bracha for me? So sure. Why you want a bracha for me? Why you want a bracha for me? He said, because you are the only person in the world that is greater than Yahushua ben Nun. So he said, what's the connection, me and Yoshua Ben-Nun now? He said, who was the wife of Yoshua Ben-Nun? He said, Rachav. So who was Rachav? So he said, a prostitute. She used to be a prostitute. And Anju, a famous prostitute, people from all over the world make appointments with her and come to where she is. She has a whole building of prostitution. One day, she see what Hashem did for all the Jews, and she comes to convert. She made tshuva. She left their nonsense. She regret what she did. She converted for real. And who married her? The leader of the most important nation, Yoshua Ben-Nun. So he said, why the Torah tells us who was his wife? Why they come to embarrass him? What was the incentive of Hashem to write in a that Yoshua Ben-Nun has a wife that used to be Hashem Yerachem. Why? For all the Baalei Tshuva in the future, never to lose hope. For all the girls who made scenes, Hashem Yerachem, horrible scenes, and a woman cannot hide her past, because Hashem made her in a way that he wanted people to know that she already made scenes. The husband has the right to know who is married. Still, even though it's a problem, you cannot ignore it, it's a problem, Hashem wanted to know, to us to know that the power of tshuva was to take a used, broken product and make it right away brand new. That's what I want. Because otherwise, who would agree such a thing? And that's what the Torah wanted to teach us. Baal tshuva men, baal tshuva female, whatever you used to be, you used to be. Right now you tzadikah, you tzadik, finished. Same thing the other way around. The, the, the Gemara said that Yaakov Avinu came to Hashem and begged him not to let Esav succeed. Which means, Hashem, if you keep Esav alive, one day it's going to make us the Holocaust. So what's the point of keeping this wicked guy alive? It's Amalek. All the Germans, Aman, all this came from him. 
So why are you keeping him around? So Hashem answered the same thing with Ishmael. I do not judge a person based on his future. Even though I know the future of all people, and I know what you are now and what you're going to be in 10 years, but I do not judge you based on what you're going to be in 10 years from now. Right now, you okay? Right now, you don't deserve to die, so I don't kill you. 10 years from now, you'll be guilty, you deserve to die. It's a different story. I will rejudge you. Every, every day, every hour of the life of a person, his status change. It could be that Hashem already agreed that this person deserves execution. Lo alenu. He's so wicked that that's it. He has one more week to live. And an hour before the execution takes place, this person gave a hundred dollars daka to someone. And Hashem called the angel of death right back. Don't touch him. Come back. He got another three, four years to live. That's how it works. Dakata mimavet. Not that many things can save a person from death instantly. A person, God forbid, has a disease. You know how many treatments he needs, how many doctor's appointments, surgeries, medicine. Who knows if it's going to help or not? Who knows? You know how many sicknesses out there? You have more than a million, more than a million different sicknesses. Hereditary, things that you can get, viruses, these, ah, so many problems. This just, uh, 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 just sex sicknesses, male and female, there's hundreds of names, hundreds of different diseases. We know, I don't know, five, ten, if you're knowledgeable about medicine, you know about maybe ten names. One time I saw a list, maybe I recognized five or six, and there was hundreds over there that nobody ever heard. They exist. Millions of people have them. Some of them are minor. A person hardly knows that he has this disease, he can never get rid of it. But some of them affecting the people's life. Mamash, make them miserable. That's what the Torah says. There will be days that I'm going to bring the sicknesses that you don't recognize from Egypt. There will be no sicknesses. And the Torah says which sicknesses. It gives two examples. Hashachefet veakadachat. Shachefet was a disease that kills the person from inside and is long and there's no cure for it and he dies. It's like uh, some kind of infection inside. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but that's how people used to die when Israel became a state. The immigrants that came to Israel, many of them got it and they died. There's no cure for it. Today, Baruch Hashem, they know how to treat it. And there was another sickness, it's called Kadachat. It's a fever. You get it from the mosquitoes that go in a swamp and there's all these germs, whatever, and they get it, and then they beat the person, and he can get it from them. And the Kadacha, the person has high fever, his eyes is burning, that's it, and he died. They used to put cold water on his forehead, hoping he's going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, get out of it. But many of them were dead. And the Torah also said, Machala What does it mean, Machala Mameret, in Hebrew? Cancer. Torah already speaking about the sickness that, that spreads in the body and kills the person. This is 3,300 years ago. Nobody knew about this concept. It says that it says clearly. So what do you see from here? Hashem already told us there will be days that you got, your sins will go so high that there will be different punishments. And people don't realize. They think it's all coincidence. Today, 
there is almost no Jewish family that they don't have at least one patient with cancer, at least one, if not five, like uncle, cousin, nephew, you know, somebody in a circle of the family. It became the number one disease in the world, and before heart attacks, used to be heart attacks, but today they have a lot of good medication for cholesterol and all kinds of things, so it's made the cancer, cancer is keep growing. More and more and more and more cases. I just was in, uh, I told you, I was in this weekend in Canada, in Montreal. One old woman, I believe she was in her 70s. You should see, she came Sunday, especially. She drove an hour and something to the resorts where this, vacation, this weekend was. And all she did, sitting for about 20 minutes in my lunch break, and crying to me about her daughter that have cancer in three different places in her body. And she has kids, her husband is alone, and she has no other kids, this old woman. She had one daughter, no husband, he died. Husband died, and one daughter, she's not even 50, she's in her 40, 46, 7, something like that. She had one, the oldest one is 18. The other one is 14 or 12, something like that. And you should see how this woman was crying. If they're not letting me see her, they're not letting me see her because they know I'm crying and they said that if she sees that I'm crying, it's going to kill her faster. And you should see how, I'm telling you, if I, could, if I could film the 20 minutes how this woman was behaving and put it for millions of people to see, maybe we, it would wake them up a lot faster than the lectures. I always say in the hospitals, everyone is religious. If a person wants to re realize how serious is Hashem about what he says in the Torah, all he has to do is to pay a visit to York Avenue and 67th Street. Go there to that hospital, Hashem Yerachem. You go, you don't have to walk into the rooms. Probably they won't even let you. But by every door they have a window, a clear window. You can go like this and see. Believe me, one picture, you get the message. You get the message. And why these people got it? Why? Coincidence? Cellular phone? What? A, a cellular phone tower? Yeah, this is, the, this is the cause. But what's the reason? There's something who caused it. Hashem chose that this will cause it, chas v'shalom. But what's the reason? We make a lot of sins, all of us. Just the fact that they got it and we didn't get it doesn't mean we don't deserve it. Maybe we have something that's still saving us. A person has to be smart, has to be smart, that he sees what's going on around him and say, I have to learn from other people's experience. I do not want to learn when it's too late. Today, the rabbis are afraid to talk about these things. No, no, don't talk about this thing to them. Don't upset them. Don't depress them. When do they come to talk about it? In the eulogy. Now they all of a sudden give a speech and everybody cry. Why didn't you give this speech before the eulogy? Maybe people would make tshuva and they won't get to this situation. No, I didn't want to lose the crowd. They get upset, they don't want to come. They don't want to hear such things. What's the job of a, of a rabbi or a speaker? What's his job? What's his job? What do you think, is just a, a, a job? Uh, what is he, a, a, a politician that can't speak about politics? He is a spiritual doctor. 
The job of a good doctor is to tell his, his patients what's their situation. A doctor that doesn't tell his patients that the cancer is spreading in their body every day, it becomes worse. Why do we need such doctors? This is murderers. This is not doctors. A doctor that knows, you know what, don't let him know that he has cancer. What's the point? We get him upset. What do you mean? In a month he'll be dead. Let's try to save him. But he get upset. He'll get upset. I don't want to upset him. This is, imagine a doctor tells you such a thing. In that day, he would lose his medical license right away. Same thing, needless to say, a million times worse than rabbis. Because the body, it's 60, 70 years, no? So if he's 40 and he's going to die, he'll have 30 years of his life. Very sad, very sad. What 30 years compared to billions of years that the soul gets lost? Because the rabbi didn't tell him that you have to correct your way. You understand? I tell you something. I have all the time people calling every day. Some of them are so naive. Not bad, really not wicked, not evil. So naive. Acting so foolish because they have no idea what's going on around them. That they're calling me to tell me that they have a wife that she's Goya and they got her from there and they don't understand how serious is their situation. Obviously, this is something the last thing they, want, they would have to hide it from me. But they talk about it, how great she is, and they have no idea what's going on. So I say to myself, what am I going to tell this guy now? What can I tell him? He doesn't know who was Avram Avinu. How am I telling him, listen, every second of your life is a disaster? Where you start? There's nowhere to start. You need a year of lectures until you realize the situation. That's what's going on. So let's go back. So Yoshua was the next one after Moshe. Yoshua Laskenim, there were 70 elders. The big Skenim Chachamim. Zaken means Zekana Chochma. That's what Chazal says. And from Skenim, from the elders, he went to the prophets. One prophet after the other. And from the prophets to Anjea Knesset Agdola. To the, to the members of the Israeli Knesset, not of today, God forbid, of 2,200 years ago. You understand? Just to give you an idea, if you take the 120 Israeli members of the Knesset, all of them combined with their intelligence and everything they ever learned, it won't be the dirt of the nail of one of the Chachamim who sat in the Knesset more than 2,000 years ago. The dirt of the nail he won't get to that level, if you know what I mean. So the only mutual things between the Knesset today to the Knesset then that it looks the same shape. And I see it in the same shape. Other than that, there's no other connection. If you see who are the people who sit in the Knesset Agdola, they know all the languages. Unbelievable people. If one of them would come here today and walk in the street and just say something, in less than an hour there would be a thousand people around him to see who is this amazing person. Because we're not used to see Chachamim like this. You have no idea what are we talking here about. Only when you begin to read some of the things they wrote, you see in what level their brains was. You know how much we have to sweat to understand one row of what they wrote, one comment. Sometimes, I have a cousin, he has a very, very strong power of will. That's why he became a very, very big hacham, holy person, big Kabbalist. 
And the best thing about him is that he hides himself. He's not interested in publicity because he said publicity brings nudniks, <laughs> headaches, phone calls. Rabbi, help me. Rabbi, help me all day. When am I going to learn? I have to learn. I cannot learn if every five seconds give me bracha. Come, I invite you to my wedding. Come be Mesader Kiddushin. I want you to make the wedding for me, Rabbi. I'll pay you the ticket. You come here, you come there. I say, listen. I don't want this. One time I told him, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, make, to be the Sader Kiddushin. You make the wedding for my friend. He comes to Israel. He really wants you to do it. So he said, no, I, even if I want, I can't. I said, why? He said, I never register myself in the, in the office. Because every rabbi has to have an ID, a certificate that is entitled to be Mesader Kiddushin. Otherwise, they don't recognize them as husband and wife. You have to get remarried. So he said, I said, I said, how didn't you do such a thing? He said, that's the whole point. If I would do it, I will never be able to be one night with the books. Every day I will have a different student of mine that gets married. Right? I have to go here, I have to go there. Why? Because if I do it for one, that's it, I'm stuck for life. Everybody comes and says, hey, to Moshe you did. Why, I'm not as good as him? To hurt a Jew, it's the last thing I want. So I didn't make the license. <laughs> the opposite. Some other ones, they run right away to make the license. Good money. Mucho dinero, Rabbi. Very good. Every night, $500, $600, $700. Why not? That's besides the salary that he has. But he wants to learn Torah. He teach others all the time. Teach, teach, but you have to understand. Once you become an official figure, a public figure, you have no rest. You cannot open the books. You cannot open the books. So why am I telling you about him? Because I remember one time I have, I have recordings of his shiurim to his students. They recorded on an MP3, and I, I would drive in a car, I listen to it. So one guy asked him a question. So he got him a little bit, not angry, but it was a little tough with him. So he told him, you know how many hours I was learning that row yesterday? There was one row, maybe five words, six words, not more than that. Something, it's called Maharam Shif. In the end of the Gemara, there's comments, very, very small letters. You need a magnifying glass to see it. But it's harder than Chinese. Why? Because there were such brilliant people, and remember, in the old days, there was not, there was not, no, we didn't have papers like now. You, you make papers as much as you want. You see them on the, on the floor, everywhere you go. It was very, very expensive to make, and they had feather and ink, and there was no room. So, so they were all their life trained to write in abbreviation. Not to catch too much room, because there's not enough. It's very difficult to get. So everything they wrote, if what, we, what would take us a whole page, they wrote in maybe three words or four words. And today we have to sweat hours to understand one thing. Hours, hours, you break your head. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But for them, every right away they understood everything. Such level of, of understanding, of, of sharpness in their head, that we, we can dream about something like this. You know, the Vilna Gaon, he wrote a book. One of his books, they were trying to understand what he says. Nobody understood anything. Why? Because the entire book was abbreviation, Rashi Tevot. 
There's no words over there. Five words, he made five letters. How do you say these two lines on the top? Quote, quote, quotation, abbreviation, briefs. Five words, five letters. Another uh, three words, three letters, quotation. Another four words, four letters, all like this, letters, just letters. (laughs) Go and understand what he says. Why? To save room, to save room and to save time. You understand? So he said to the student, yesterday I was standing, not to fall asleep, Ten hours standing to understand those five words. And now you're telling me, supposedly, that it's nonsense, you don't like it. <laughs> Ten hours are standing. To... This is the power of will. You understand what it means, Torah? Five words, ten hours. You know how many words you have in a Torah? Tens of millions. Five words, ten hours. You calculate how much there is to learn. If you really want to be sharp and go to the root of it, that's why Chazal says, It's wider than the ocean. Wider than the ocean. Wider. You know, there is more than 70,000 different series of books that are printed. There are much more than that. And from each book, let's say, Me'am Loez, I don't know, you have like 30. So that's 30, but we consider them as one, because it's one series. Rambam, it's six books. We consider it one. Uh, Gemara, it's more than 20. We consider it one, right? So if you multiply the 70,000 series, we have hundreds of thousands of books. Hundreds of thousands of books. Sometimes I put in my computer to search for some something, subject. Let's say I put respect your father and mother. 3,000 sources coming out. Let's say you want to prepare a lecture about respecting your parents. So you want to see what all the books saying about it. You want to see point, different points of view, different opinions, different comments. As soon as you look at the list, where will I start? It'll take me five years to go over all of them. One book after the other from 500 years ago, from 700 years ago, from 1100 years ago, from 50 years ago, from seven years ago, from Iraq, from Poland, from Russia, from all over the world, one after the other. You press on the, on the arrow, it's running and running and running, and what? About respecting your father and mother only, one sentence. <laughs> you got what's going on here? So we continue. This, so, Ansha Knesset Agdola, this is basically the ones who made our tefillah. Tefillah that we have today, tefillah Shmonaisre. Hashem Sfatai Tiftach started in their generation, which means before the Knesset Agdola, how people used to pray, everyone with his own words. How the Goim has to pray today? A righteous Goy that keeps the seven law. Seven laws is keeping. How does he pray to God? The Goim also can pray to God. If they want to pray through Christianity, it's a sin. Because all the prayers are filthy. Why they're filthy? Because they connect to God through a middleman that was a crook. It wasn't the Messiah, it wasn't the Son of God. They don't understand it. But by praying to Him, that's already called Avodah Zarah, worshipping an idol. And that's something that God cannot stand. So right there, if they try to do good, they do bad. Put everything aside. The Muslims, they have their own books. They pray. I say to somebody in a Shabbaton, 
because the, the people over there, you know, in, in, in people who speak French, there's a lot of Muslims also. So they have some Muslim friends that they speak, they argue about religion. So there was one guy, one French guy there that was keep asking me questions about the Quran. But what about this? But what about this? What? Okay. So I told him, the Arabs, they could be righteous in a lot easier way. Everything that they do is waste of time. Like for instance, 40 days to fast in Ramadan. It's not a mitzvah. They made it up. Somebody tricked them. It's no obligation. God didn't say to the Arabs, you have to fast. They do something that God never required from the goyim. <laughs> so, if you do something that God told you, it's called a mitzvah. What's mitzvah? Mitzvah means metzuve. Hashem is metzave, ordering, and you are the one who received the order, and you fulfilled it, that's called mitzvah. But if you just make it up, let's say I decide that I'm going to make a new mitzvah on my own. What's my mitzvah? I walk in the street, and every five minutes, I clap my hand like this. Or I walk all day in the street with my hands up. All day I walk like this. What are you doing? It's a mitzvah. I'm, I love God. This, that's why I go like this. So my arms are broken already. All day I'm walking like this. It's no mitzvah. <laughs> Hashem is laughing. Well, look at this fool. <laughs> like that Indian that carries his mother all his life on his shoulder. All these things that people made up, they have no reward for that. Not only it's not reward, sometimes they have a punishment for that. Depends what they do. To fast 40 days, the Arabs won't get punished for that. But they don't get any credit for that. Nobody, nobody asks you to fast. I never told you they go in that you have to fast. I only gave you seven laws to keep. And every other law that is required by common sense, you have to keep. Everything else they made up. So how the Arabs have to pray to God? In their own language, same thing Christians, same thing all Chinese, everybody, every guy in the world, until this day, he wants to pray to God, he can pray anytime he wants, and he has to pray in his own language. Until the Anshea Knesset Agdola wrote the prayers, the Jewish Sidur, that's how we were also. We used to speak to God in our own language, God help me to get married. I want kids, I want a daughter, I want a boy. In your own language, you stand in front of God. That's what the Torah says. Yitzhak lasuach basadeh. Yitzhak went to the field to be alone with Hashem, to be alone, and to talk to Hashem. What did Yitzhak say? He didn't say, Hashem sfatai tiftach ufi agiti latecha. Why? Because there was no Tehilim yet. This pasuk comes from Tehilim. Hashem sfatai, David HaMelech. 3,000 years ago, Yitzhak was more, three, 400 years before David HaMelech. So he did a lot of our prayers. Read the prayers in Shabbat, 90% of that come from Tehillim. So you see that our fathers pray in their own language. They spoke to Hashem. And by the way, there's no limit. The Gemara says, You should know that we are obligated to pray three times a day, the men. Three times a man. And women, it's a question. Some say once a day, some say twice a day. But definitely not three times a day. They're not obligated. Some say once, some rabbis. It's an argument between the Chachamim. It's not 100% clear. And some they say twice a day. Some women, very righteous, they say, I'm not taking risks, I will pray twice a day. Shachrit and Mincha. Some don't have time, they have kids, they work. They... So they pray Shachrit or Mincha. Okay? But a woman, she's, first of all, she's not required to pray such long prayers, for instance, on Shabbat. If she wants, very nice of her. She's not obligated. She can pray in a much shorter way. 
And you see that everyone has a different kind of obligation. That's how it is. And, uh, and if you should know also one thing, today, even though we have three prayers a day, three, a man can stand all day, all day, from morning to night, and pray the Tfilat Shmona one time after the other 500 times in one day. It's no problem. It's better than you go to the beach or to other places where people go. How many of them is obligated? Three. If he wants all day to pray, it's called Nedava. Hashem, it's donation. This is my obligation, Shachrit, Mincha, and Arvid. The rest is extra. I make a condition, you have to say before, that these prayers, it's not my obligations, but I volunteer to do it. It's called Tfilat Nedava. Same thing in Bet HaMikdash. Some sacrifices this was mandatory. It was an obligation. You have to bring a korban. Some, it's Nedava. You had a daughter, you want to say thank you to Hashem, you bring a korban toda. You bring thank you, Hashem, I, you make, you know, seuda, whatever. All kinds of ways to thank Hashem. Then... You know, I, I heard that the stipler said to someone that his daughter wasn't getting married. I couldn't understand why. Pretty girl from a good school, good education, okay family, everything is fine. So they finally went to the stipler, which was the father of Avchaim Kanievsky, who's Gdol Ador. So they say, why she doesn't have mazal? She, doesn't, she has no good luck. So he says, when she was born, did you make a big seuda for Hashem? thank you, to thank Hashem for the girl, or only for the boys you make. So he said, no, you know, Rabbi, when the girls are born, nobody knows about it. Uh, I have a daughter, four months old. Four months? When did your wife was fine? When did you have a daughter? No, you don't hear about it. Man, so much noise. In India, if a girl was born, they kill her. In India. Baruch Hashem, we're not that stupid. We don't kill them, but the Ben Yishchai writes, Oy laem! To those fools, that when a person has a, a daughter, they make fun of him. Let's say a person has five daughters, and he's dying to have a, a boy, and again a daughter. So what do they do in shul? They have to name her on Shabbat. So they say, V'yikaresh ma v'Yisrael, Miriam. So everybody starts to sing, De'erori kera'a lebenim bat, 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 bat. And he wants to kill himself. <laughs> so the Vedish Chai saw that the people, you know, do it. You know, they pinch one another. <laughs> so he wrote about it. Oi, Hashem wants to give a person a, a girl and he's complaining? And by the way, you should know that Rashi, Rashi, he had only three girls. He didn't, he didn't have a boy, Rashi. No boy at all. But each one of his girls married the biggest rabbi in the world. <laughs> and the grandkids of Rashi is the biggest ones, the biggest names in the Gemara, Rabbeinu Tam, Rashbam, the grandsons. So sometimes to have a daughter is a million times better than to have a boy. First of all, it's easier to raise her. She's not as rebellious as the boys, to, especially today. And second, if Bezrat Hashem, she has a Talmud Chacham, husband, it's like your son. Your son-in-law, it's like your son. And you're going to have nice uh, grandchildren, and the grandchildren are considered also son. Ben, ben, no, kmop, no. His son, the son of his son is equal like his son. He's in, he's in continuation. And many people, I guess, do not know it. So, Chachamim start to say, there are three things you have to pay attention to. When you judge a person, don't be strict. 
to neither side. Don't be too lenient. Don't be too extreme. Always try to go in the center. And not to be angry, to have a lot of patience. Some people, some judges don't have patience. You know, they sit 40 years in a courtroom. As soon as you open your mouth, okay, okay, we heard that. Well, what about this? Answer me this question. He doesn't let you talk. And, like he thinks what you're going to say. And then you had one word that you're about to say that would change the entire verdict. But since they don't have patience anymore, they just want to go home. They want to finish. They have hundreds. As usual, is the, the shortage, of, shortage of judges because the crime is increasing by the moment. Soon, half of the world will be courtrooms and jails. Half of the world will be courtrooms, the other half jails. Soon, with the way the crime is rising, now they consider to cancel the jails, which means only murderers and rapists they put in jail, those who are really, really dangerous to society. But all the other, they put some kind of ring on their leg or on their hand, and they, and they arrest them at home, house arrest. Cannot come out of your house for 12 years. <laughs> what do they care? You take care of your food. Why should we feed you 12 years for being a crook in Wall Street? You, 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 feed. you cannot get out of the house. You eat bread, whatever you eat, it's not our problem. Let your family feed you. Why are the taxpayers going to pay for you? They don't have room in a jail. I know someone is in jail. Now he's hoping that they will cut two years of his sentence. Why? The jails are so packed, they're trying to clean it for the new criminals. It's not only here, it's in many places like this. Because the society is going lower and lower by the minute, the level. As mitzvah for a rabbi or someone who knows Torah to teach it to many others, for them also to go to spread the Torah as much as possible. And make sure you teach the people all the fences of the Torah. What's the borders between what you're allowed, what you're not allowed, what's important and what's not so important. Today, it's usually common by people who become religious recently that they don't have guidance. They don't know where to go, where not to go. So for instance, first thing they do, they begin a world war with their parents. As soon as he became or she became religious, the war began. We cannot eat in your house. You, we cannot step in your house. I, you cannot come with me on the street, look how you dress, all kinds of So the parents, the poor parents that grew up like Goim, what do they know? They came from here, from this country, from that country. They, they do not know that much. They feel, look at the religion. Before my kids were religious, they were such good kids. Soon as they became religious, they became my enemies. They can't eat by me. They don't want to be with me. They don't want to speak to me. They don't want me to see their children. It's a big conflict. Why? Because sometimes you are right, and sometimes you are wrong. It's not so simple. So that's why a person needs a big graph to give him advice what to do, what not to do. What to do, what not to do. Sometimes, even though you want, you're going to have to make a scene, a minor scene, it would be much better to make that minor scene than the opposite option. Because the opposite option can cause such a chilul Hashem and such a disaster in the entire family that the Rav will tell you, no, in this particular time, go. Do it. Don't ask questions. Just do it. Because if you don't do it, it's a million times worse it's going to be. Sometimes you have to choose between bad and worse. 
not, not always is good and bad. It's bad and worse. What are you going to choose? The bad. You cannot choose the worse, so you choose the bad. The bad in that case become the good. Then, Shimon HaTzadik, Shimon HaTzadik, he was the survivors of the Knesset Agdola, one of the last one after they all passed away. So he was one of the last one. And he says like this, there are three things that the world is standing on, three foundations to the world. Allah Torah, one pole is the Torah, Allah Avodah, Ve'al Gmilut Chasadim. Torah, Avodah, Gmilut Chasadim. Torah, everybody understand, right? People learn Torah, it maintains the world, keeps going. Chasadim, helping, kindness, volunteering, washing the dead bodies, visiting the sick in the hospital, helping the poor, you know, cleaning the streets, you know, every, whatever. It's all chesed. But avodah, what does it mean avodah? Avodah means to go and, uh, and have a butcher shop, to sell meat, to be a shoemaker, to sell gold in 47th Street. What does it mean ala avodah, olam oved ala avodah? Not talking avodah of what we think, avodah ta korbanot. There's Bet HaMikdash, they sacrifice korbanot, morning and evening, Yom Kippur, you know, all the holiday, Shabbat, even on Shabbat they, they sacrifice korbanot. So what keep going the world is the avodat korbanot. Today when we don't have Bet HaMikdash, we have Torah and we have Hasadim. So one of the poles of the world supposedly doesn't exist. Wrong. The Torah says, parim What does it mean? When we cannot pay with cows, we're going to pay with our lips. That's what the verse says. Neshalma parim, we pay the cows, sfatenu, with our lips. No sacrifices. What comes instead? Praying. Praying, praising, reading Tehillim, praying Shmona Esre, all these prayers that we have today. Now, if you pay attention, every prayer in Judaism for the public is set against one of the sacrifices that they used to do in Bet HaMikdash. Shachrit in the morning, Korban Atamid of the morning. Mincha of the close to the evening, Korban of the afternoon. Korban of Yom Kippur, Korban Musaf, there was an extra one, Musaf, that's why we have Tfilat Musaf. Yom Kippurim, five different prayers. So everything is set exactly how they used to do the Avodah in Bet HaMikdash. It's not just coincidence that they one day decided, okay, let's make a Shachrit in the morning, let's make Mincha in the evening. No, it doesn't work that way. It's all replacement for the Korbanot. Then before we finish, the order continue, Antignos, Isoko, Kibel Mishimon HaTzadik. So who was his main student? Some of the names, as you can see, it's names of Goim, of Greeks, of Romans, that they used to be the empires of those days. And some of the people have Goim names. Some of them, it's because they are converts. Like, for instance, Shmaya in Avtalion, there was one big grave, his name was Avtalion, Ilel Azaken, the president of the Sanhedrin, Hillel Azaken, that Hillel had 80 students, the biggest in the world was his student, who he learned his Torah from? From Shmaya and Aftalion, converts. Converts. Rabbi Akiva from converts. 
רבי מאיר בעל הנס פום קנברץ, משיח פום קנברץ. הוא עושה את זה תורה as discriminating the goyim. Every goy can become like Abraham Avinu if he really wants. And I know few that really wants, but it's very difficult. Today it's very difficult. Why? They live in an area, there's no Jewish synagogue, no kosher food. Some of them are married, the kids don't want. It's easy to be Christian. Everything is allowed. What are you telling me now? We're going to become Jews, everything is not allowed. They don't want. And he really wants this goy. But his wife and children don't want. And he has to give up his, entire, his, his whole life. It's very difficult. And some of them are constantly suffering. I can show you some of the emails where they send me. You see the tortured that they stuck. It's like Catch-22. They are very bitter with the phony life that they live because they know it's, the, it's not the true. But the price that they have to pay... Basically, they have to, to lose everything they have, the wife, the children, the car, the business, the house, everything. And to go to an area that nobody is welcoming you, hey, thank you, Chrissy, come, welcome. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Also, you have to know that it depends what kind of going come to convert. If it's a guy that once he converts, you cannot tell the, if, he, if he's a convert or he's, he's Jew from birth, it's a little bit easier for them, because once they have a little beard on a yamaka, he used to be Italian, now he's, uh, now he's Moroccan, you know? So it's really almost no difference. The problem becomes a lot worse that he's either Chinese or Korean or black, that you cannot hide your identity from birth. Because some people are, no matter how much the Torah says that you have to con- respect the convert 36 times, this part of the Torah, for whatever reason, doesn't exist for them. I don't understand. I can't understand this. I'm wondering in my heart all the time, in my head, how is it possible that we have people that are really righteous? They learn Torah, they keep the mitzvot, they're good people, they do a lot of kindness, but when they finally see a real convert, instead of running and kissing his feet, they treat him like a dog. Hard to believe. Some communities in different places... They don't, they don't, the guy, the poor guy, he really wants to come and learn. The Torah says, love him, respect him, help him. They don't want to hear him. We had enough problems with this. I can only give them the benefits of the doubt for one reason, that some of these converts eventually turn as fake ones. And that creates a lot of problems, because if a convert is fake, it can create a disaster. Why? Because if a Baal Tshuva marry a convert and she's really fake, She's a Goya. All the kids are Goyim. All the grandkids are Goyim. You understand? And if one day she gets off the way and she stops keeping the laws, these kids are in Yeshivot and their mother is a Goya. And only Hashem knows that they are Goyim. Hashem knows that they are Goyim. Eventually, one day everybody finds out, but by then it's too late. She's married to him and he's married to her. Where are you going to correct it now? So I understand. That's why I always say, sometimes it's, uh, there's many decisions in our life that it's a catch-22. It's very hard. If you do this, you lose. If you do that, you also lose. You have to know which one is better than the other. So, Antigonos Ish Soko Kibel Mishimon HaTzadik. He received from Shimon, and this is what he was saying. Don't be like the servants who run to serve the rabbi in order for him to get a prize. Don't. 
That's not what the point what the Torah says, to be meshamesh, talmidei chachamim, to help them, to serve them, to in any way you can. Not for the prize. Do it, not for the reward. And think and aim that this is the wish of Hashem. Really the secret ears that we the, 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 the talking about us and Hashem. Don't run only to keep the mitzvot just for the reward. No. Because this is Retzon Hashem. Somebody asks you why you do this mitzvah, there are a few reasons. You can say because the reward is huge. That's one answer. What's the other answer? Because I'm afraid to get punished. But what's the right answer? Because this is what Hashem wanted me to do. That's really the right answer. Whether there is reward, whether there is punishment, that's irrelevant right now. Because this is the Retzon Hashem. Yosef ben Yoezer, that's another one. ben Yochanan ish Yerushalayim. They receive from them. So that's another step in this chain. Make sure your home is always open to the meeting, to the committees of the Chachamim. Make sure if the rabbis need a place to come, to speak, to give lecture, to sit and learn, to make sure you always you'll be the first one who volunteer. Come to my house, sleep by my house, make Shabbat by my house. My, uh, you, you need to be, you have a place to stay, you come here to this neighborhood on Shabbat, you run to be the first one that they come to your home. While they're already in your home, uh, how, uh, stick to them and get as much as information as you can. It's an opportunity. You're not every day you have a chance to sit next to this person. Make sure your home is always open for guests to help them and make sure that the poor people are members in your home. Now, don't look only for the fancy, fleshy people to show them, to invite them, that you enjoy sitting with them. No. Make sure that your home is full of poor people all the time. They come, can you give me lunch, can you give me dinner, can, I, can you give them whatever leftover that you have. Don't throw the garbage. Here, come, every time you need food, come, don't hesitate. I know one rabbi in Monsi, one time I came to ask him a question, all of a sudden I saw a homeless, he comes with all the bags. He's half blind, he's strange, very strange. I can tell you that he didn't take a shower for years. So I have to, uh, you have to imagine what kind of smell comes out of him in the humid days. So he comes with all his bags, he goes like this, he has this weird hat. He comes, he goes to his house, and he goes and make him bagel with tuna, he cook for him something. He, he gives him everyday, everyday lunch. How do I know? Because it was already like a, like a system. It's not that he surprised him. Oh, how are you? Come, no problem, sit. What do you want? Also coffee? <laughs> this Chacham serving this homeless every day, he knows when he's hungry, he needs lunch, he has where to go, and he makes for him lunch. You understand? Then, do not talk to the ladies too much. That's the beginning of distractions. Don't start with the ladies. Even the friends of your wife, the friends of your daughter, your relatives, forget about it. Who are we talking about, Chazal say? Even when your wife don't talk too much. Don't talk to your wife too much. Needless to say with the wife of your friend. If with your wife, it's, don't talk all day, all day with her. What about for stranger women? 
someone who talks to the ladies all the time is very bad for him. And it takes away his time to learn Torah. Because he's busy with their beauty and what they say and what they like. The so far, check 70 years later where he's ending. Somebody like this. Oh, if she's teaching him Torah, then he has to stay with her all day. <laughs> Never to leave the house. Yes? How about if it's a job? It's not a kosher job in that case. What's the job? Is a hairstylist? I know you're going to say it. <laughs> a man is not allowed to be a hairstylist of a woman. He can be a hairstylist of men. Even though there's not that much style. What about doctors? Doctors are allowed to take care of the ladies. But the ladies should not go to a doctor male unless... They can only go to them if there's no female that are equal to this doctor. So, for instance, if she needs a gynecologist and there is one man in town which is very good, but there's also a woman that she's very good, it's ten more minutes to drive. Or whatever the case. Or it's another man to wait on line for the woman because everybody wants to go to her. No problem. It's war to sacrifice. If the, the woman is not as good as the man, her reputation is not so good, she's not knowledgeable like him, then she's allowed because then it's already her, risking her life. But if they are good, him good and she's good, yeah, she has to go to a woman. I think that if I was a woman, I would die, I wouldn't go to a man. That's me. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Just thinking about it, that your wife go, even though it's a doctor, it's 100% professional, believe me, we saw what happened with these doctors. I told you, I told you once the story about when my, when my wife has to give, to give birth to, the first, uh, to my first son. It was in Manhattan. There was two very famous doctors, very famous. They have a very fancy office with lots of doctors. They were in a very good street in midtown Manhattan. So she says to me, the doctors want to meet you. <laughs> I have to go. They want to meet me. Okay, so here I come. <laughs> so I come to the doctor. I see two apicorsim, two doctors, they think they are owning the world, the top of the world. They are the best, the talented. Hashem is not in their plans. How he talks, he makes plans, like everything is according to his orders. So I told him, why are you being a Mr. Big Shot? It's all in the hands of Hashem. You sounds like you are the one who decides what's going to happen. <laughs> he looks at me like, who is this puppet there to talk to me? I'm the big, I don't want to tell you his name because he's really famous. Then comes his partner, a little bit younger, and says, I'm the one who will do the delivery. So we continue to argue, and I'm talking to them religion, and they are allergic to religion. You see right away. It disturbs them very much. So then I told my wife, the young one is crazy. I told me, ah, you, my, what are you talking about? You fanatic. This. Tell you, I'm telling you, it's crazy. A year later, it was all over the news. He's the one who made his initials. He made cesarean to a woman. You heard that? He puts his initial on her stomach. Do you remember that case? No, 13, 14 years ago. A year after my son was born, 13 years ago. Imagine, it was all over the news. They saw him for who knows how much, and he lost his medical license. I told her, what did I tell you? It's crazy. (laughs) 
Yes, the pride, the ego, make them lose their normality. They're not normal anymore. When a person becomes so stuck up, such ego, it becomes crazy. I used to know a person like this that is so proud. He was a famous person, like celebrity in Israel. And teenage used to die to just that he will allow them to come to his home to listen to some music. He was a very famous musician. So if somebody wanted to use his bathroom, he would never let him use the bathroom. No, you, you die, he doesn't care. He has one bathroom, nobody is allowed. No one is allowed to enter his bathroom. <laughs> I don't care, don't come. He doesn't let you go into the bathroom. Treat the people like they're dogs. This is what happens when you have no Torah, no Yirat Shamayim. You become worse than an animal. Then, Aselech Harav. You have to nominate, every person has to nominate to himself a rabbi. What's the criteria as how you check a rabbi? With this we will finish. This is going to be the last Mishnah for today. How do you choose who is going to be your rabbi? Of course, it depends who you are. It depends on your emotions, your knowledge, what you attracted to, what kind of speakers attracts you more to the Torah, there's different styles, obviously, like everything else in life. But that's not the, f the most important thing, no. First thing, you have to be very, very careful to, to determine who is real and who is fake. And here are the most common mistakes that people do by choosing a rabbi. They judge him first on top of the list by the length of his beard. How long is his beard? Can he sweep the floor when he walks in the street or not? If the beard is very bushy and long, oh, you know what the holy man he was? I always ask him, how do you know he was holy? He had such a beard like this. I say, Osama bin Laden has also a very nice beard. Why don't you go to him? Saddam, when they caught him in a pit, you saw what a beard he had, Saddam? He had a beard like this. So forget about this, that's not true. There's one rabbi here in Queens that doesn't have a beard at all, not one hair. And he puts all the other rabbis in his pocket in knowledge, easy, without any question. Whatever it is, you say it. I don't want to start giving marks to who am I to tell who is good and who is not. But this is something that everyone agrees. Very big chacham. Sometimes he wears shirts that are not like the yeshivot. You look at him, you think he's a businessman. But every question you ask him in the Torah, he knows. He learned. You don't know if you didn't learn 30, 40 years every day. You don't know. There's no hocus pocus. You can be a genius, so you can do it in 15 years. And if you're an average intelligent person, you need 30, 40 years to learn to know everything. You don't know. I'm telling you. There's no, hocus, there's no miracles. You learn, you know. You don't learn, you know, you know how to fool the people with mixed answers. So that's really not... A consideration at all. Second, greed. You have to check their greed for money. Are they interested in you to help you really or they are interested to suck your blood? Because you have to understand even people who are Shomer Shabbos, they have greed. Not one has nothing to do with the other. Even people that are very modest by not looking at the ladies doesn't mean they're not addicted for money. You understand? So greed. Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul, a holy, fantastic rabbi that passed away about 10 years ago, 
He said, if you go to anybody, any rabbi, to help you in your problems, and they make a condition, we're going to do this and this and this for you, if you're going to pay us such and such, or if you're going to donate such and such, stay away from them right there, and don't listen to all the stories of the people you know what he did for my uncle? You know what he did to my cousin? Forget about this. Third, you should never ever think that he has the power to help you. No. It all comes from Hashem. It's better to go to the judge with a good lawyer than a stupid lawyer. Everybody understand that. So if you go with a foolish rabbi or a wicked one to the lawyer, to Hashem, to the judge, it's obviously not as good as when you take a real kosher tzaddik and you ask him and he answers you what Hashem wants. Of course, there's no, nothing to compare. But never ever forget when chas v'shalom you seek, Hashem is above everything. Everything. And when your rabbi gives you bracha, only because Hashem wanted us to cherish them and to appreciate them for their knowledge in the Torah, he gave them the power to bless. Not because their blessing really make a difference. Because Hashem wanted us to cherish them, to evaluate them, because He cares about the Torah, and He loves people who devote their life to learn Torah, so He gave them a bonus, that whatever you're going to say, I will take it to my consideration. I'm not binded to your blessing. If a rabbi is giving a blessing to a Mechalel Shabbos, most likely Hashem overruled the bracha. That's why I saw some righteous people who say to the person, I'm willing to pray for you, I'm willing to bless you every day, not only today, in one condition. You accept one big mitzvah on yourself. Thanks to your merit now, I'm giving you bracha. Give me something to hang to. If you're not giving me, why am I going to bless you? To make more sins? If you're supposed to die in a year because you have cancer. If I will bless you and my blessing will work and you become cured, you will go against Hashem for another 30 years. So I'm becoming your partner to the sins because thanks to my blessing, you lived another 30 years, it would be better off you died. For you and for the world, not only for the world, for you it's also better to die young. Why? Because now you died 50, you have X amount of punishment. If you live to 80, your punishment is doubled. So I'm, I'm actually punishing you by giving you a blessing. Nobody thinks in the right way. So that's why he has to say, I'm willing to beg Hashem for you. For years, in one condition. Do something yourself. Why do you put everything on me? You do something. And that's what I told the woman in a seminar. Help me, save me. I said, who am I to save you? I started to get uh, nervous. People can come and beg to a person and forget that it's all from Hashem. I said, what, what? You came to me, who gave you this idea? You come to me. Why don't you cry to Hashem like you cry here? Believe me, we will work a million times better. Sometimes there's nobody to talk to. A second after I tell her that, she continues. Do it, do it for me. <laughs> I'm not a magician or something. <laughs> this is what's going on in this world today. So that's, again, okay. Now, also, also, how available he is. Some of them are never available. And you have a lot of decisions that you need. If you see that out of 50 times that you call, they only answer once or twice, you cannot keep them as your rabbi. What are you playing with, the imaginations? You need someone available, or maybe someone in your neighborhood that when there's an emergency, you can run to him and knock on the door. 
and he opens the door for you, or answers the phone, or gets your email, or text, whatever. So that's very important. Also, also, you need a rabbi that tell you what's wrong about you. Not only what's good about you, he's such a tzaddik, he gives donation to the shul. Mwah! Hashem will bless you. No, you don't need fakers like this. You need somebody who tell you, ma'am, why don't you wear modest clothes? Okay, rabbi, I'm sorry. Some of them come. When they come to the rabbi, they're very modest. They look like the Bedouin woman in the desert when they come to the... As soon as they come out of the rabbi's office, ah, <laughs> it's like the Iranian woman in Iran. They all go like this. They put it on their face. As soon as the plane take off to Paris, no jokes. Shh. The whole plane rise. Shh. Shh. Oh, what? what happened? What fake religion? You ever saw a religious Jewish woman when the, the plane take off from Bnei Brak? She goes like this and put her mini skirt. It's real over there. That's why she doesn't need to. Over there, it's all fake. She's not going to be mad. They'll slaughter her neck. What? You understand? That's not true. <laughs> I'm afraid to breathe because the mola up next to me is the Ayatollah one now. Soon the order going to collapse. You see, forcing with the power of the arm can only work temporarily. That's not the way. It's, it's never worked. Never work. All these dictators collapse in the end. You saw it. Look at Saddam. Look at all. They collapse in the end. Which are the dictators that survive? Those that are normal. In one hand, they dictator, but they also allow their nation to express themselves. Those who are very strict with them, and they go only with, with threatening, and they, they disappear from the face of the earth, soon or later. So, as we said here, that it's very important that he wants to help you and not to get from you. But that doesn't mean you have to be an ungrateful person. People have to know that when you, ha when it's not only applies to rabbis, it's applied to every man. Who do you have to do more to? To someone that you owe something or to someone that you don't owe anything? To someone that you owe something. Sometimes I hear complaints from the public, from the people, Ah, this rabbi only helps people who donates money to his uh, congregation or to the shul. For people who doesn't know, it doesn't help. So my question to them is, so what do you expect? If he has a thousand people who comes to him, and two hundred of them donates to the shiva, to the shul, and there's eight hundred that do not do anything for his congregation, for his shul, for his yeshiva, nothing. When, when one that helps comes and one that doesn't do anything for his yeshiva comes, who is he obligated to run to help first? Not only because it's an obligation of a normal human being. If the doctor saves my life and this doctor that I hardly knows what's his name, who am I obligated to help more if they need help? To the one who helps me, not to the one I do not know. So what's the question here? So what's the question here? It's called gratefulness, gratefulness, being grateful, grateful. That's why the Torah says, if your father lost his wallet and your rabbi lost his wallet, who should you run to look for first? The wallet of your rabbi. Why? Why? Your father brought you to temporary life. 
Your Abba is bringing you to eternal life. You have more obligations to him. You have to be more grateful to him. That's why you are obligated to go and search for his wallet first. If your father is in jail and your Abba is in jail and you have only enough money to redeem one of them, of course, if you can redeem both of them, of course, what's the question? But you have, they want $10,000 bail for him and 10,000 bells for him and you only have 10. That's it, you couldn't raise more. Who are you obligated to redeem first? Your rabbi, not your father. Same answer, he brought you to a temporary life and he brings you to life of eternity. You got it? That's how it works. That's how it works. And Hashem said it. By respecting the rabbi is basically respecting Hashem. Torah says, by respecting the Chachamim of the Torah, it shows that you respect Hashem. Because what's the reason you respect the Chachamim? Because they know the Torah of Hashem. What? Because they're beautiful blue eyes? Why you respect the rabbi? Because he has beautiful long beard? And a nice $200 sombrero? And a nice belly? Why you like him so much? Why? Because he ran the marathon? Why exactly you like this rabbi for? He's playing Shesh with you on Shabbat. What for? You only like him and respect him because he's doing what Hashem told him to do and he's his messenger here. Give me one other reason. Maybe there's other one that I never heard of. That's why it comes before our parents even. Before our parents. And also buy a friend. Buy a friend. What does it mean buy a friend? Oilano that we need to buy our friends with money. But the answer is, if you finally find a good friend, someone with values, with talents, with great manners, with lots of knowledge that you can benefit from, which means he's going to improve you, because tell me who your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Everybody knows that's how it works. You'll be with the criminals on the streets, you become one of them. You'll be with the Chachamim in Yeshiva, you become one of them. No secrets. So the Torah says, if you finally have a friend that can improve you, can influence you, when you're with him, you're doing positive things, right? Every parent wants his kids to have good, ki- good friends. If finally the boy brings somebody good from school, be only with him. Invite him for Shabbat. Why? They know it's only going to benefit my son. Don't let this friend disappeared, if ever he needs help, if he needs loans, if he needs money, it pays for you to give him the money, not to lose him, than to be stupid and greedy and say, no, what, I need you because I have to give you money? Or you learn with me and I have to give you money? Sure. Because if not, he's going to have to go and search for it somewhere else and you lose him. And who's going to be your friend? The gangster from across the street. What do you think? The world is not full of great people. Always make sure to give the benefits of the doubt to every human being. What does it mean to give the benefits of the doubt? It means if you walk on the street and you look through someone's window and you see a friend from the shul, every Shabbat is in a shul. You see him on Shabbat smoking cigarette and watching television. On Shabbat. You look from the window and say, this is Moshe? I just pray with him this morning in shul. What's going on? You cannot run and say, I saw him a Khalil Shabbat. Because you're going to ruin his life, his children's life, his wife. Not because of that you're not allowed to tell. No. 
Because sometimes the halacha say you must say. Even though he has kids, you have to say. You have to publish him. No. When do you publish him? If you see him and his chazaka, his certainty, everybody knows he's Shomer Shabbos for years. You have to assume that something not right is happening here. For instance, what can happen in a case like this? Maybe the goy hiding behind the, behind the curtain, pointing a gun to him and saying, I want you all Shabbat to sit and smoke cigarettes that everyone who pass by will see that you mechalel Shabbat. That's what I want. And he's pointing a gun to him. The Torah says that pikuach nefesh doche Shabbat, life risk, puts Shabbat on hold. Even though it's very unlikely that something like this would happen, one to a million, because he has a chazaka of a kosher man, you have to judge him favorably. But if he's a Jew that every Shabbat walks in the street with cigarettes and drives his car every Shabbat, and now you saw him driving on Shabbat, what benefits of the doubt? You know that's what he does. Same thing, if a person was already caught stealing, Three times. Three times. Stealing. And now there was a party in your home and your wallet is missing. When the police come, they ask you, do you have a suspect? You name him. You say, he's the main suspect. You never saw him taking it. But all the other people have a chazaka of kosher people. They were never convicted in stealing. I'm not talking convicted in a court of Manhattan. Because the thief cannot convict the thief. You understand? <laughs> so it's, forget about it. And the witnesses over there are worse than dogs sometimes. So based on them, you cannot send a person to prison. Someone who doesn't believe in Hashem can be a witness and send somebody to an electric chair. There's no fear from anyone. You know, so the point is that we are talking kosher people. Kosher people came and said, we saw him doing such and such and such. And it happened three times. That's already chazaka. Three times, same thing in Acts, the Gemara says. If you have many axes, and one of them beginning to hit people with his horns. If it happened once, maybe the flies made him crazy that day. It doesn't mean it's a bad axe. It happened, an accident. If it happened second times, oh, you have to watch a little bit more carefully. It's already two incidents. Once it happens for the third time, from this moment on, your penalty is double. Until now, you have to pay half of the damage. From now on, you have to pay full damage. And if he kills, your punishment is worse. It's called already Shor Muad. It's guaranteed that he's going to make damages. And that's why you have to lock him. You cannot put him with the cows by the lake because he's already have three incidents. That's how it goes. So remember, if it's a kosher person in this particular subject, stealing is kosher or not? It could be sometimes, i give you an example. Sometimes a person could be Shomer Shabbat, but it's well known that he cannot keep a secret. Everything you tell him, right away he runs and tells everyone. And you beg him, be careful, they don't tell anyone. Five minutes later, you hear what I just said? You hear? Hafez Chaim, an hour before Shabbat, he wanted to spread a rumor in town. There's no uh, internet or <laughs> telephones, or, you know, in a primitive way, a hundred years ago. So he knew his wife has two friends, two women, two yentes. So he invited them, he called them from the neighborhood, come, come. And they come, or maybe they came to his wife without his invitation. And he said, I want to tell you something, but make sure you'll be very careful not to tell anybody. It's a big secret. 
Make sure nobody knows about it. He told them the secret, they turned around and he told his wife, no, by, the, by the beginning of Shabbat, everybody in town would already know it, don't worry. <laughs> if you tell them, you can tell, you can tell, they don't have any desire to tell. You tell them, be careful, be careful, be careful, I don't wait. You know, somebody came to the Hafez Chaim and said, I don't understand, this guy is speaking Lashonara against you all day, every day. So the Hafez Chaim told him, it's very strange, I don't remember that I did any favors to this guy. <laughs> you got it? The more you owe that person, the more the Satan, the Yetzirah, convince you to go against him. That's what it is. The more you owe him, somebody you don't owe, all of a sudden you want to help. Somebody that you owe, the Satan drives you crazy. Go against him. Don't help him. Don't. What's going on? Everything is the opposite. So remember, benefits of the Tao only to someone who's kosher, someone who is clean, is not uh, making sins with the ladies. If somebody comes and tells you, I saw him in a hotel with some woman, but you know this person, you know him, you learn with him in yeshiva, you know he's very modest. He said, nonsense. There probably was life-saving case that he went with her to save someone's life. Maybe he went to do Shlom Bayit. You have to understand, that's how you have to think, not only to fool yourself. It's, I'm willing to swear that that's what happened. Why? He has a certainty of a caution. That's what it means to give him the benefits of that. But if it's somebody that every Monday is in a hotel, and he heard that he went to the hotel, he said, oh, for sure, he went to make a scene. A hundred percent. Remember, not, don't make that mistake. I think we finished the first chapter. I see that the sauna here is very good, Baruch Hashem. Agabi, it became very cold. It's all because of you. I'm freezing. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, Gabi, when we learn Torah and we teach Torah and we sweat, we earn a hundred times more when it's pleasant. You should know that. Yeah. So no problem. So Levi, make sure you don't call the technician to check the freon. <laughs> but I'll tell you what's the problem in the air condition. You know what the problem is? Oh, take the filter out. They have like a special net. Take it out, wash it in the sink, all the dust comes out, put it back in, ten times more freezing it's going to be. It's shocking the air condition. Ah, so you have a lot of dust. Very good. But, but don't do it until we finish the ten lecture series. <laughs> you know, I, was, I went to Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. That's where my cousin used to teach. So I came with a tie. You know, Americans wear jackets. I went there. They were in a caravan. There's not enough room in a building, so they put caravans outside. Caravan attracts heat. So they, put, they sit outside, very humid, maybe 100 degrees outside, boiling sun in the middle of the day. I went inside. I sit with my jacket. After a minute, exactly, I took off the jacket. Then I rolled my sleeves. <laughs> then I was looking for something to make some air. There was one fan on the wall. Very lousy old fan, hardly moves. Hardly turns around, you can see how slow it turns. So the rabbi saw that even the Israelis that they already used to the sauna over there, they're suffering. It was extremely hot. So he said, I know, I know you're suffering with the, from the heat, but remember what the Torah said, that one hour with agony and some, you know, uh, uh, 
inconvenience, it's equal like a hundred with pleasure. So why do you, so convince yourself, put some efforts. So one guy, I almost choked him. One guy said, so Rabbi, so why we have the fan on? <laughs> I, believe me, if I wouldn't be embarrassed, I would give him a right one, knock him out. And not that it helped in any way, but psychologically, maybe the fan helps. <laughs> so what was his answer to him? He said, don't be a big shot. Don't be too much of a tzaddik. It's all a show off. You have to know when a person is really a tzaddik and when he's a show-off. I'll give you one example. Sometimes you come, sometimes you come, and you have ten people in a shul. Let's say Arvit, last minyan. Ten people in a shul. And you pray, and now one of them didn't finish to pray, so they're waiting to say Kaddish. They have nine. They wait. All of a sudden, he's the Baba Sali. Kavanot Arashash, you go from the first world to the second world. Ten minutes, twelve minutes, everybody stand and wait. And he, first of all, it's nonsense. He cannot have any kavana, any intention. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He's only putting a show, I'm a tzaddik. You pray five minutes and I pray 15 minutes. It's all a show off. Why is it? Nobody can concentrate when nine people is about to kill you and they stand and, no, let me go home, it's one o'clock at night already. What else? I'm sitting and waiting for this. I remember one time I came to the last minyan, Monsi, 10 to 1, 10 to 1 at night. There was 10 people. Eight Hasidim, Vishnitz Hasidim, and me, and one Yemenite guy. But Yemenite, Yemenite, not the modern ones from Israel. Real Yemenite is wearing Shabbat Jalabiya. He has a special like Rabbi Amnon Hakan. <laughs> one time at my son's breeds, one American woman came to him, Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak, can you give me a bracha? <laughs> so that's how Yemenite he looks. <laughs> On Rosh Hashanah, I had a Persian guest so, you know, once or twice in his life, he saw Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak in a tape. He doesn't understand Hebrew. So we walk in the street. So he tells me, oh, my Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak moved to Mansi. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. I, I knew it's going to be funny. So I said, talk to him, talk to him, tell him to make me a bracha. So I come to him, I said, Zion, give him a bracha <laughs> in Hebrew. So he kissed his hand. So the guy felt bad. He said, no, I'm not Rabbi Amnon Yitzchak. We're making a joke. <laughs> so the guy, I felt so bad. I said, I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't know you got to kiss his head. I thought you got to give you a bracha. You got, he's also a tzaddik, this guy. His bracha is also good. So this guy, so the, the Hasidim, they go, no, 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 everyone, no, who's going to pray? So nobody wants to pray. Everybody say, you, you, you. They looked at me. I'd have been different than them. They have different accent. So they look at him, they say, no. They say, okay. <laughs> Until today, they cry for that moment. <laughs> he takes a talit, one o'clock at night, talit. He goes like this around his head, five minutes, he put the talit, and he begins to go. 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, 140. They dive in seven, eight minutes, and they run home. They go like this. 
everybody is holding himself, and I don't know where to hide myself. I'm the only Sfaradi there. <laughs> so they all look at me like, tell him something. And he has his Yemenite, Mizmorim, he sings. <laughs> so I said, Thrill, thanks to you, no Yemenites will ever pray in this place. <laughs> so they wanted me to pray, I pray. Remember, sometimes it's a show off. You have to know when to, be, to pray long, when to, have sh to be short. You don't make nine people sit and wait just because you want to be at, all of a sudden at Sadiq. Especially that if you were with people that in a different place, you would pray four minutes. But all of a sudden you became a Sadiq. You understand how it goes? And I'm telling you, there's so much show off in religion. So much show off. I don't touch this, I don't eat this, I don't go to here, it's all baloney. He does that, and he eats that. It's all a show-off. You understand? In front of the people, I don't eat. I don't. When he's home alone, he does everything. All of a sudden, no halav Israel, no kemach yashan, none of these things, not so much glad kosher. But in a show? No, I don't touch meat. It's all a show. You've got to be careful from these fakers, I'm telling you. Remember, the no, because they learn a lot, they know a lot, and they use what they know to trick people how they become. You don't have crooks lawyers? There's lawyers that know all the law and the big crooks. They steal the customer's money. You have accountants that knows all the laws of the IRS by heart, and they themselves crooks, right? You have doctors that are worse than murderers. They steal organs from people in the middle of the surgery. But they finish Harvard or, or I don't know, uh, Harvard, I don't know, Columbia Medical School, whatever. I don't know which one is the best medical school, whatever. But they still kidneys in the middle of a minor surgery. So just to have knowledge doesn't mean you are kosher. The Torah said, Talmid chacham shemidotav raot nevela srucha bashuk tova mimeno. A Talmid chacham, knowledgeable person in Torah, that his traits are corrupted, he is a crooked person, he's corrupted, a dead animal in the street is better than him. You understand that? That's an extreme expression, it's not a joke. He can be a great speaker that knows everything by heart, and Hashem say, you see that dead dog over there across the street? It's just as bad as him. Why? It's a faker, it's a faker. If you learn Torah and it doesn't make you a better person, that means it's like grinding water. Something is not right here. Something is not working here. It cannot be that you learn Torah and stay the same corrupted person. It cannot be. And if it happens, that means either you don't learn Torah or you never accept it on yourself, the seriousness of changing your bad character. If a person recognizes problems, there's a chance to correct them. If he doesn't, recognize his problems, how is he going to correct them? If a person that is very proud, he doesn't think I'm proud. I'm very humble. What are you talking about? I'm not proud. I'm humble. How is he going to correct that pride? Right? If a person thinks he's generous because he put one dollar in a stack box every morning in a shul, he thinks he's very generous. Right? A person like this will never stop being stingy. Why? Because in his mind, I'm, look, every day I give a dollar. And there are people like this, believe me. They are. They, they will write you $18 donation, and for years they think, wow, you know, I made it. They never stop talking about it in every occasion they can. They know, they're, not, they're not intentional. They're dreaming. They, they don't understand what does it mean to be generous, to be stingy. 
This, they can never correct their problems, these people. If a woman thinks I'm modest, sometimes I have girls, they say, look at me, I'm modest. What she calls modest, that she doesn't go with mini skirt or completely naked. Modest means for her, tight jeans, and you know, a shirt that opens a little bit, and maybe a little bit in the back, and short sleeves, that's modest. Modest according to who? According to who? Of course, she's not as bad as those who forgot completely to get dressed, obviously. But she's very far from the requirements of Hashem. Very far, very far. Also, we have to pay attention how we behave in public. It's not only about what we wear, it's the way we behave. Even you walk with your wife in the street. You want to kiss your, your wife, you want to hug your wife. People do not know your wife, not your wife. People may think it's not a, it's Chilul Hashem it could be. You never see a big chacham with his wife hugging and kissing on the street and going like their boyfriend and girlfriend in, uh, in Fifth Avenue, you know? You never saw, did you ever saw a rabbi walk with his wife like this? <laughs> Why not? She's his wife. He's allowed to hug her, allowed to kiss her, allowed everything. It's not derech eretz. Even respectable going don't do it, right? <laughs> Today we have a president that walks without a shirt in front of the cameras, fine. But 30 years ago, no American president would walk like this with his wife hugged or without a shirt in front of the camera. That's what's going on today. The level of the people is constantly dropping. Yeah, if you want to see his shirt with his muscles like this on the beach, the president of the United States, I can send you a link. You'll be able to see. Okay, thank you very much again, Levy and his wife, for hosting us every Monday here. I appreciate it very much. And Bezrat Hashem, next Monday, we're going to do the 